planning on preaching, and I get back is, oh. So there's kind of like this lack of enthusiasm when I tell people we're going to be studying through the Ten Commandments. Now, to give some of those people credit, after they've responded with that initial O, well, then they kind of seem to warm up to the idea. But I get it. I remember being a kid studying through the Ten Commandments in Bible class, or at least being taught the Ten Commandments. Uh, We were taught through the King James Version, and I'm not knocking the King James Version, but there's just something about the King James Version and the Ten Commandments that seemed a little bit intimidating to me as a kid. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, all the thou shalt nots. And so, as an adult, I feel like I pretty much kind of avoided or dodged the Ten Commandments. Maybe it's because of bad memories from uh, my third grade Bible class, and I think it was mainly my third grade Bible class teacher that just scared me. Maybe it was a combination of all of that. But I get why some people may not be real excited when they hear, hey, we're going to preach through, we're going to study through the Ten Commandments. And it's also been a really difficult year, as we've talked about time and time again, and all of you know that. Everybody has had to make adjustments. Tough decisions have been made, not just at this church, but in your own lives. I know it's been difficult for a lot of people financially. I know uh, there's been difficulties with the social isolation, and not everybody has agreed with what to do and how to move forward as a society, as a human race. Like, there's been so much that has been thrown at us, and we've powered through that year, and the year isn't over yet. I can see how Satan is working to destroy marriages, to try to tear apart churches, to increase depression and alcohol abuse, and people are fighting with each other constantly and suspicious of each other. With all of that going on and all that has gone on, is this really the right time to study the Ten Commandments? I've asked myself that question. And the best answer that I can give is, I feel like God has led me to this point at this time to study the Ten Commandments, so I trust that maybe God has something to teach us in this moment. And I hope that you trust the same thing. So that's why we're studying through, because I feel led to study through the Ten Commandments. I've been preparing this for a while, and it's just kind of come to be that it will be this time, and I hope and pray that God will work through it. Now let me ask you this question. How well do you know the Ten Commandments? Anybody memorize them as a kid in Bible class? Okay, not. Maybe we need to work that into the curriculum at some point. It, three people raised their hands. I remember as a kid, uh, I think we memorized it, because I had them memorized at one point. Many of you know Jack Hell, who worked at the White Oak School District for many years. He was a teacher, a principal, superintendent. I think he was even a counselor. So he's worked with students his whole career. And when I told Jack that I was going to be preaching through the Ten Commandments, he told me a story, uh, something that he remembered. This young girl came up to him one day and said, Mr. Hell, and she was telling on two boys who were being, who were being bad, who were being mean. And she said, these boys broke the third, the eighth, and the ninth commandment. And Jack said, oh no, that's terrible. Can you remind me what those commandments are? And I'm with Jack on that because up until the point of studying for this, I kind of had to refresh my memory. How many, I know there's ten commandments. What are they? What order are they in? I don't know how well maybe you know the ten commandments if you have them memorized or if you've never read them before or if it's been a long time since you've read them. Uh, I know that 
one of the resources I've been using for this sermon series, this book, you see the title up here, The Ten Commandments, What They Mean, Why They Matter, and Why We Should Obey Them, by an author named Kevin DeYoung. And in his book, in his intro chapter, uh, based on research, they claim that only about 14% of Americans know the Ten Commandments by memory. And maybe that would be a statistic that would be true for this room, for our church. I'm not real sure. So why not take a few minutes to read through them? So I want to read Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 through 17, and just kind of do this initial reading. And then we're going to talk about a few things. But follow along with me as we go up to this mountain, to Mount Sinai, and we receive these Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Those are the first two. The third one, verse 7, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you, your son, or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, the alien resident in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and consecrated it. Fifth one. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then six and beyond. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. There's the ten commandments that God gave to his people after he brought them out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness, and now he is preparing them to be his people. And these are the Ten Commandments that he gives them. If we were in a smaller group setting, if we were sitting around a classroom or in my living room, the first thing I would do after reading through a text like this is I would ask the group, what stood out to you? What caught your attention? What questions do you have of what we just read? Back in November, we started studying this as a ministry staff. And after our initial reading of what we just read right here, Exodus 20, verse 1 through 17, I asked the same question. And as a staff, one of the things that we pointed out was it's kind of strange in the second commandment that God talks about this generational punishment. What does that mean? What's that all about? Does that still apply? Did that apply then? That was our initial question. What stood out to you? I know for a lot of people, they may look at the second commandment and say, does anybody still worship idols? That was a primitive culture 
from thousands of years ago, we don't worship idols anymore, do we? Some people look at the fourth commandment and they say, hey, keep the Sabbath day. Well, look at the New Testament. We don't have to keep the Sabbath day anymore. Or maybe look at, I think, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder or do not murder. Some people look at the Ten Commandments and say, hey, I haven't killed anybody and I'm not planning on it, so I guess I'm doing okay. And we think that until we read the New Testament, what Jesus had to say about this commandment, and then we were challenged with our anger. So you may have some questions, some initial observations, if this is the first time you've read through the Ten Commandments in a long time. And I hope that over the next several weeks, maybe we can answer some of those questions. Maybe we won't answer all of them, and if you do have questions along the way, feel free to email me. And we're going to try to go one by one through each commandment, and we're going to read these commandments. We're going to study them through the lens of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, what does this mean to us today? So let's start with this question. What are the Ten Commandments? Well, I think it would be easy to say, and not just because we're people of faith, but I think it's true that the Ten Commandments are the most influential law code ever given in the history of humanity. There's no other law code that have been this influential on people groups for thousands of years. That's what the Ten Commandments are, but they're actually the Ten Words. I put some Scripture references up here on the screen, and hopefully you can see it. I keep forgetting that if you're watching on live stream, I think the text box is supposed to be right here, so I'm trying to stand away from it right now. But if you look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 28, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 13, and Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 4, uh, in the Bible, those sections, it's called the Ten Words. We call them the Ten Commandments because throughout the Bible they're referred to as commandments, but technically the Bible calls them the Ten Words. So in this sermon series and in this sermon today, if you hear me say or refer to them as the Ten Words, that's because I'm just calling them what the Bible calls them. If you've ever studied Greek or heard much about Greek, this word decalogue Deca means ten, log, which comes from logos, which means word, is ten words. The decalogue, the ten words. So why are there ten? And why are we focusing on just ten? Because if you're a student of the Bible, if you know the Old Testament and the Torah, you know that there is 613 commands total in those first five books of the Old Testament. Why are we focusing on just ten? Why are these ten so important? Well, some people have broke down the 613 commands into different categories, ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. These Ten Commandments are the moral laws. These are the foundational commandments, the initial ones that God gave to Moses to give to his people. Why did God choose ten? I don't know. Maybe it's because as human beings we gravitate towards the number ten. We just celebrated New Year's Eve few weeks ago, and if you are one of the brave ones that stay up until midnight, anybody stay up till midnight? Okay, you're either not in the mood to raise hands today, or you just, you don't know the Ten Commandments, and you don't stay up till midnight on New Year's Eve, but usually, if you do, if you remember from when you were a kid, you count down, and where do you start the countdown? Not from 20, not from 19, not from 13, but from what? 10, 9, 8, 7. We like that number 10. If you pay attention to late-night talk shows or YouTube videos, I see it all the time. People have their top 10 lists because we just gravitate towards that number 10. Most of us have 10 fingers and 10 toes and 
10 is kind of easy to memorize because you can count them on both hands. I'm not sure if that's why, but for whatever reason, God gives these initial 10 commandments to his people. And if 10 seems overwhelming, if you feel like, well, that's a lot, I can't remember all of those that we just read, or I can only remember a few of them, well, think about it like this. Here's a simple way to break down the Ten Commandments. There's two tables or two tablets of the law. And the first table of the law has to do with our relationship with God. So you can simplify it like this. Love God. When Jesus was asked in the New Testament, what are the greatest commandments, what are the most important commands, he says, love God and then love your neighbors yourself. Those first four commandments... No other gods, no idols, no misusing the name of God and keeping the Sabbath day. Most people would say those four fall into that first table of the law that have to do with our relationship with God and loving God. And then the last six have to do with our relationship with others, honoring your parents, not murdering someone, not committing adultery, not stealing, not coveting, and so on and so forth. And you can look at that list up there. You break it down into two main tables, two main categories, love God and love others. And you'll see how these commandments really influenced Jesus' teachings. Now, if you break it down and you look, like, and you look at it like that, another question I could ask is how much better would life be for all of us, not just at this church, but in our society in this world if everybody kept these Ten Commandments? Imagine that. Just Ten Commandments. Some people have said these are the minimum requirements of ethics, Christian ethics, of of being a person of faith. These are the minimum requirements, and how much better would life be if we could keep these? And, And you may say, yeah, it should be easy, But for whatever reason, human beings and people of faith have really struggled with keeping all ten, or even keeping a few of them. So now, in the 21st century, do we really need a bunch of rules? I mean, look at how smart we are, right? Look at all the advancements that we have as human beings since the time of Moses, since the original giving of the law. So do we really need a bunch of rules still? As human beings, we don't like being told what to do. (laughs) I mean, we've seen that in the last year, right? If anybody says this is what you need to do, most of the time people say, no, you can't tell me what to do. And I think that's how a lot of people approach faith. Is that even though if you have a faith in God, the creator of the universe, the lawgiver, We still look at God and we say, you can't tell us what to do. We don't want God to restrict us. We don't want God to take away our freedom. Well, if you're struggling with thinking like that, one thing that uh, Kevin DeYoung said in that book that I already referenced is one of the ways that you can look at the Ten Commandments is not prison bars, but maybe more like a, a set of traffic laws. Now think about it. As you drive down the road, as you drive through a school zone, In the morning or in the afternoon when school is starting or letting out, there's usually red flashing lights that tell you to slow down to 25 miles per hour to protect kids. We need those laws. When you follow behind a school bus and the stop sign comes out and those lights are blinking, you're supposed to stop to protect those kids. When you're turning, you're supposed to turn on your turn signal. 
When the light is red, you're supposed to stop. How many people complain about traffic laws? Well, I'm sure there's some, but we need these traffic laws. Otherwise, it would be pure chaos anytime we went out on the road. We have to have them. We have to have traffic laws in order to be free. Or you could think of it like a guardrail. I know you've probably heard me talk about this before, and, and some of you have shared your own stories with me, but my family and myself, I like to travel to the Rocky Mountains as often as possible. And I love going up in the mountains, but one of the things that terrifies me are those big 14,000-foot mountains that you can drive up and down. It's still a little bit dangerous. You go on these switchbacks, and one of the things that makes me feel a little bit safe and protected is the fact that there's guardrails. I appreciate the guardrails. But imagine somebody saying, or cursing those guardrails saying, you can't take away my freedom. I ought to be able to veer off the side of this road if I want to. The guardrails are there for your protection so that you can stay free. And that's what Kevin DeYoung is saying, is think about the Ten Commandments like traffic laws or guardrails, is this is God's way of helping free people that he has just freed continue to be free. Because God loves us enough Not to just say, hey, you can live however you want to. Because he knows how incredibly disastrous that would be. God loves us enough to say, here's how I want you to live. And the scripture reading from the welcome this morning was Exodus chapter 19, verse 3 through 6. And in that passage, God tells Moses, he tells his people, you're going to be a priestly kingdom. You're going to be a holy nation. These Ten Commandments are God's way of calling His people, establishing His people to be a peculiar people, to look different than the cultures around them, to be willing to stand alone when necessary. This is God's way of establishing a holy nation. Now, as a church, one of the things that that I want to point out is that we do have expectations of you. Maybe we've called these churchwide challenges in the past, or you can call them a reading plan, or what I'm leaning towards. If you listen to some of the sermons that were uh, when we were online only back in December, I want to call them shared spiritual experiences, something that we can do together as a church. And Adam, I appreciate your communion thoughts this morning. And Adam pointed out uh, the reading plan that we're currently doing through Exodus, and we're actually going to reading Exodus this month and a little bit of February, then we're going to read Deuteronomy because both Exodus and Deuteronomy have the Ten Commandments in it. And we have an expectation of you. Uh, Hold on, I got ahead of myself there. Let me flip over to that slide. We have an expectation of you to read through and to follow with us in this reading plan. I'm not sure if you've been doing it. Maybe you're behind. Maybe some of you have stayed with us faithfully through this reading plan But I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So every night we read the chapter that we're supposed to read through Exodus. And I'll tell you, as I read it with my kids, I realize that some of it I have to censor. Exodus is weird. There's a lot in the book of Exodus that's strange. And some of it I kind of protect my kids from it. And I don't understand all of it. I read through Exodus so far, and I probably have more questions than I do answers. But I feel like it's important to stick with the Word, to go chapter by chapter, to immerse ourselves in this story. So we expect you to 
to follow along with the reading plan. And then I also want to challenge you to memorize the Ten Commandments. And if that seems overwhelming, maybe don't memorize word for word every verse, but break down the Ten Commandments as something as simple as the way I've done it. No other gods before me. No idols, no making of idols, no misusing the name. Keep the Sabbath day. Honor your parents. And you can simplify the list like that and memorize the Ten Commandments in that way. But we do have an expectation of you in the room, of you watching at home, whichever camera angle you're on right now, Uh, We have an expectation that we do this together as a church and let God mold us and shape us the way that He wants to. Now, one of the things about studying through these Ten Commandments is one author pointed out the law drives us to our knees, shows us our sins, and leads us to the cross. The world would be a better place if we all kept these Ten Commandments, but we don't. We sin. We fail. We're not perfect. If we're being honest as we study through this, we'll realize some of our own sin. And that should lead us to the cross as we look at the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Because we as human beings, because the Israelites, because of all those who have gone before us, were never able to completely keep their end of the covenant, their end of the commandments, whether it's the Ten Commandments or all the law, Jesus bore our sins for us. So we're not perfect, but we strive to live the way that God calls us to live. And right now I'm thinking of King David. What are we told about David? He was a man after what? God's own heart, right? But David has this dark spot, this time where he committed this sin with Bathsheba, had her husband Uriah killed, and as some authors would point out, that David broke at least half of the Ten Commandments in one sin. And that's a man after God's own heart. And after David realizes what he has done and how horrible that is, David writes Psalm 51. And I want to share one verse from you from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 10, where David writes this, and and this is kind of like a prayer, and I want this to be our prayer as well. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create in me a pure heart. David knows what he's done. He knows the sins that he's committed. He feels that the weight of what he has done and his prayer to God is, I need to be renewed. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And as a church, one of the things that I think we want to focus on, at least for the first part of this year, is inward renewal. As I've already mentioned from the beginning, we, our society, everything right now is kind of messed up. With all the conflict and all the mess that's going on out there, it affects us. Even if we think it doesn't, it does affect us. And Satan is hard at work. And one of the things that I think we need right now is to be inwardly renewed. And not just for the sake of us feeling better about ourselves, but to be inwardly renewed so that we can be outwardly refocused. So let's start with that part where David starts here. Let's be inwardly renewed. As we re-examine these Ten Commandments 
And as we look at that through the lens of Jesus to help us understand the life and the teachings of Jesus better, because the Ten Commandments would have been highly influential on Jesus. And as we, followers of Jesus, seek to be like Christ, one of the ways that we're doing that is by immersing ourselves in these ten words. And through that, it may be painful at some points, but God may expose some of our own sin. Many years ago when I was a youth minister, we used to take our our youth group every summer to a camp called Quartz Mountains Christian Camp. Anybody ever been there? Again, either you're not raising hands or I'm just not asking the right questions today. We used to go to western Oklahoma, Quartz Mountains. And here is an actual picture of Quartz Mountain. It's not much of a mountain. It's, I used to call it a really big boulder hill. But it was a fun activity for the afternoon, so we would take several adults and several campers that wanted to go, and that would be the afternoon activity, is we would hike up one of the two main mountains at this Christian camp. It only took about 30, 45 minutes to hike up the mountain. It was a little bit strenuous. It was a little bit challenging. And once you got up to the top, it was a beautiful view of Oklahoma, as beautiful as that can be. And we would get up there, hang out for about an hour, and then we would hike back down. And for both mountains, there was a clear path that you were supposed to follow. Because otherwise, it could be a little bit dangerous. And I remember one of these hikes. I I remember this. I thought of this about three weeks ago when I was trying to go to sleep at night. So I woke up and wrote this down. But I remember on one of these hikes, we started hiking back down. And I was goofing off. I was talking to people. We were telling stories and laughing and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, I walked up to this, the edge of this cliff. And I looked down, and it was a really steep drop-off. And I thought, uh-oh, like we are not in the right spot here. I looked around me, and I thought, wow, I am way off that path because none of this looks familiar. And then I turned around and looked behind me, And all these campers, for whatever reason, were following me. So not only was I off the path, but they I had also led them off the path. And I didn't really know what to do because I didn't know where I was. But there was a dad that was on the trip with us. His name was Boyd. He goes to the Dangerfield Church of Christ. And I loved Boyd. He seemed to know how to do everything. And Boyd had been on that hike with us. So the only thing I could think to do was just call out for Boyd. And myself and all the campers with us, we just started yelling, Boyd, Boyd, like a desperation call. And after about a minute or so of doing that, I heard his quiet, country, southern voice say, come on, Jody. And I could hear him through the woods. I couldn't see him. I was like, can anybody see him? And nobody could see him. And I said, call for us again. And he called for us again. And I said, just follow his voice. And so we just followed the sound of his voice, and his voice led us back to the path that we were supposed to be on and back safely to camp. And at midnight one night, about three weeks ago, as I thought about that story, and I thought about this being a a new year, and us studying through the Ten Commandments, and us coming back together at this building, I think there's there's kind of a metaphor, and one thing that's true, I think, for a lot of us, is it's easy to get off the path. God has clearly laid out for us the path that He wants us to follow. 
The path that Jesus tells us is the narrow way, the narrow road. There is another path that's wide and it leads to destruction. But we know the right path and too often, without even realizing it, we just kind of open our eyes and we're at the edge of a cliff and we realize, whoa, somehow, somewhere, I got way off the path. And it's time to listen to His voice, to follow God's lead and to get back on that path. And that's what I want to do with this sermon series. And I want us to do that together as a church. But this morning, if you can resonate with what I just said in any way, maybe you know the way, you know the path, and you've never, you've never even started on the path. If this morning is a good time for you to be baptized into Christ, we have a bad, baptistry right here behind me, and we would be glad to talk to you about that or to participate in your baptism this morning, or if you want to have that discussion today or later on this week, to help you get on the path. We would love to talk to you about that. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, if you're confused with what all is going on in life right now, and you know that because of all of that, you've gotten off the path, if we can help you in any ways. I'm here. I'm available to you. I'd be glad to pray with you, to talk with you. The whole church would be willing to pray for you. We have some shepherds that will be around the room. Some will be standing in the back. If you would like to have a private conversation, a private time of prayer, you can do that right now. Right now, what we're going to do is offer what we call an invitation song, and this is your chance to respond, to come up front, find one of our elders, and we want to invite you to do that, and I want to invite you to stand back up as we stand and sing. Had it not been the